beautiful service we've had so far. May the uh, joy of the Lord be our strength. May we learn to walk in humility, walk in all that God has for us. This morning, I would like to uh, speak on a subject. The title is Altars or High Places. Altars or High Places. And um, hopefully that title will become clear as we go through the message. But um, could we just have a word of prayer? Uh, Brother Pat, could you lead us in a word of prayer? Amen. Amen. Can we turn to Genesis 28? Genesis 28. Uh, in the Old Testament, we have quite a few illustrations of um, men that erected altars at certain times in their lives. And Jacob erected quite a few altars. Um, some of them are called pillars. Some of them are called different things. I think in our passages today, a lot of them are actually called pillars. But they were basically a place of worship where something monumental happened. Something happened in Jacob's life. And he put together a few stones, poured some oil on them, sometimes made a sacrifice. Um, and we want to look at some of those passages today. And then, um, and then yeah, draw some, uh, draw some illustrations for us out of this. Genesis 28, starting in verse 10. John, could you read from 10 to 22 nice and loud? Okay, here we see that, that Jacob, this was right after uh, Jacob and Esau had um, given the, um, Isaac had asked for a, um, ask Esau actually, to, to, that he wanted to give him a blessing. And Jacob kind of stole that blessing from him. His mother helped him and, and Isaac blessed Jacob. And this is right after that. He is fleeing, he is leaving, and his parents told him, you need to go, you need to go, um, and this is what was going on here. Jacob was leaving his parents' house, he was leaving, he was all alone, 
I can imagine he was like, what's going to happen now? I'm leaving what I know. I'm leaving what's familiar with me. I'm leaving. And he traveled, and it got dark. And so he decided that he's going to spend the night there. And he used a stone for a pillow. I've, no, I've used some hard objects, but I've never used a stone for a pillow. But it says he used a stone for a pillow. And God spoke to him in a dream. God started ministering to him in a dream. And it's beautiful here. God was ministering to Jacob. He was all alone. He was maybe scared, maybe unsure of the future. I don't know what all was going on in Jacob's heart. But God came and met with him that night. He woke up and he was afraid. He's like, whoa, what just happened? How dreadful is this? God is in this place. And it got his attention. He's like, that dream was not just an ordinary dream. God spoke to me. And he got up and he worshipped God is what he did. He got up and he took those pillars. Uh, he took those, um, stone, that stone and he set it up for a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it and called the name of the place Bethel. Does anybody know what the name Bethel means? Yes. Who said that? Somebody said it. House of God. Yes. Bethel means house of God. And I pondered that. Names have meetings. And all through scripture, many times when these men named something, something, it was for a reason. And he realized that he met with God. It wasn't that, it wasn't that it was a special place or anything like that but it was a special place to Jacob because why because he met with God and God met with him and not only did God meet with him God showed him some very clear things and then he met with God he worshiped God he poured oil out upon that rock and he started he he started um, committing his way before God it says, and Jacob vowed a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone, which I have set for a pillar, shall be God's house. And of that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. Jacob had a time of worship. And I believe that we all come to times like this in our lives, where we come to a time in our life where we're fearful, we're alone. Maybe something hard has just happened in our lives. Maybe something very difficult has just happened. And we're at that place, and, we're see and, and sometimes we don't even know how to see God at that time. We're just... Like, what's next? What do we do next? And God comes and speaks to our hearts. Or we cry out to God and God meets with us. You know, that is where the house of God is. We call coming to church, coming to the house of God. Sometimes we use that phrase. Hopefully it is coming to the house of God. Hopefully God is here. Hopefully we join together and worship God here. Hopefully that's why we came this morning, to worship God and to lift our hearts before Him. 
I hope that that was each one of your desire for coming here this morning. I hope this isn't just a social club. You know, if God isn't here and we're not worshiping God, it's just a social club. And, but we can also meet God in our prayer closets. We can meet God back those long field lanes. I remember as a young man in Ephrata, Pennsylvania, we, there was people all around. There was vehicles all around. There was houses all around. And you say, how could you get alone there? Well, I had a spot. It was a field lane with, two, uh, with, with rows of corn on both sides. And, you know, God caught many of my tears in that field lane. And there was other spots through the years that God caught many of my tears and heard many of my prayers. And God spoke to me in very real ways. And I believe each one of us need those places in our lives on a daily basis, but especially when we come to those crises in our lives. We need to know what it is to hear from God and allow God to speak with, to us. This was Jacob's house of worship. And he committed his life to, to God here. You know, he said, God, if you're going to leave me, I'll trust you. I don't know how to do this, but I want to trust you. That's what I hear Jacob saying. I'm new at this, God. I don't know how to walk this thing of life, especially without my parents, without things that are familiar. But if you say yes, and you say you're going to lead me, and you're going to feed me, and you're going to take care of me, I'll trust you. And here I see Jacob committing himself to God. Let's go on to um, Genesis 31. This is just following on here. Genesis 31, starting in verse 1. Um, Daniel, could you read this nice and loud? Starting in verse 1, read from um, 31, 1 through 13. Okay, this is quite a few years later. Jacob has went and he went to the house of Laban and we know all know the story very well, I believe. He went there and he asked for Rachel for wife and he was tricked and was given Leah and then later given Rachel. And then, you know, he said, I worked seven years for Rachel and he works for seven years and Laban gave him Leah. And he said, work, he said, I'll give you Rachel, but then you work for me seven more years. So Jacob did that. He was honorable. His attitude was good. Like Jim said earlier, he had a good heart. He could have said, you fool you. What are you doing? I fulfilled my word. No, he humbled himself. He continued to walk and trust God. Well, now he's even further down the road. And he got, his, he got Rachel, and he was promised again, if he worked for him some more years, I believe it was what it was, or I forget how it all worked, but the, the ring speckled and uh, uh, ring straked and the, uh, the speckled cattle could be his. 
Well, God blessed it. God blessed that. And all of a sudden, Laban's hired man looked out and says, wait a minute, Jacob's stealing all your cattle, Laban. Jacob's taking advantage of you. No, Jacob wasn't taking advantage of him. God blessed Jacob. And at this point, Jacob realized, I have a problem. Laban's not very happy with me because this is how it looks to him. It looks like I'm stealing his cattle. What should I do? And again, it says, The angel of God spake unto him in a dream, saying, Jacob, and I said, Here I am. And he said, Lift up now thine eyes, and see all the rams which sleep on the cattle are reinstricted and speckled and grizzled. For I have seen all that Laban doth unto thee. I am the God of Bethel, where thou anointest the pillar, and where thou vowest a vow unto me. Now arise, and get thee out from this land, and return unto the land of thy kindred. Now, as I pondered this, I realized that Jacob... He was in a predicament, and he was seeking God. And God came back to him and says, Remember? Remember that pillar that you made? Remember that, that rock back there? I am the God that met you there. I'm talking to you again. I'm here with you. I'm leading you. I've done all this for you. I am your God. My first question to us this morning, do we have a Bethel in our lives? Do you have you given your heart and life to Jesus Christ? Do you have a place where you have taken the Lord as your Savior and you have said, I will follow you. Where thou leadest, I will follow you. First of all, we need that in our lives. We need, many times we call it a conversion. Many times we call it the new birth. Whatever you want to call it. We need that in our lives. That's the first step. There's a lot of people that tried to add God to their lives and they've never committed to follow God with all their hearts. That's the first thing we need. Once that's in our lives, we can trust God to lead us. And here again we see it. Jacob got in this situation. God was leading him. What should I do? And he said, I am the God of Bethel. I am the, the house of God where thou anointest the pillar and where thou vowest a vow unto me. Now arise and walk. Sometimes we need to wait. And sometimes God says walk. And you know, many times we get that confused. Many times we start running and God says wait. Moses was on the backside of the desert for 40 years. Jacob, I don't know how many years he spent here. I didn't figure it all out, but it was quite a number of years. And now, now he says, now it's your time. Rise up. I'm your God. I'm with you. Walk. Sometimes when it comes to that point, we say, God, I'm scared. I like it here. The children of Israel, when they got out of Egypt... Oh, we're going to get there a little bit. But 
when they got out of Egypt, they, they got scared. And they said, why did you bring us out here? We had all this stuff in Egypt. They were in bondage in Egypt. They were slaves. So quickly they forgot. And they said, we want to go back to Egypt. No, God says, if you follow me, I have something better for you. But you might have to trust me. You might have to dip your feet into a gushing river that's overflowing its banks. You might have to get your feet wet first. But I'm going to lead you. I will part that sea. <coughs> the word of God came to him here and said, go. And he went. He obeyed God. I'm not going to read down through all those. We're going to jump over to um, Genesis 35, starting in verse 1. And God said unto Jacob, Arise, go into Bethel. Here he is again. He's saying, Arise, go into Bethel. Um, this was after... Um, Oh yeah, this was after the things with uh, Shechem and all that. This was years, years later. And God said unto Jacob, Arise, go into Bethel and dwell there, and make thee an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleest from the face of Esau thy brother. I'm going to just stop right here before I go more down into this. When things get tough in our lives, when we don't know where to turn, do we go back to the house of God? Do we go back to those altars? They're a place of peace. They're a place of rest. Why are they a place of peace and rest? It's where we met God. And the key is, is that we continue to meet God as we travel this, this, um, this life. As we travel through life, there's going to be many times where we have to come to the Bethels in our lives and meet God and allow God to speak to us. Then Jacob said unto his household and to all that were with him, Put away the strange gods that are among you and be clean and change your garments and let us arise and go up to Bethel and I will make there an altar unto God who answered me in the day of my distress and was with me in the way which I went. And they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hands and all their earrings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the oak which was by Shechem. And they journeyed. And the terror of the Lord was upon the cities that were round about them. And they did not pursue after the sons of Jacob. So Jacob came to Luz, which is in the land of Canaan, that is Bethel. He and all the people that were with him. And he built there an altar and called the place El Bethel. Because that God appeared unto him when he fled from the face of his brother. But Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died and she was buried beneath Bethel under an oak. And the name of it was called Alunbakutha. I'm not good with names. And the God appeared unto Jacob again and he came out of Pandarum and blessed him. And God said unto him, thy name is Jacob. Thy name shall not be called any more Jacob, but Israel shall be thy name. And he called his name Israel. 
And God said unto him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall be of thee, and kings shall come out of thy loins. In the land which I shall give Abraham, in the land which I gave Abraham and Isaac to thee, I will give it, and to thy seed will I give the land. And Jacob went, and God went up from him in the place where he talked with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he talked with him, even a pillar of stones. And he poured a drink offering thereunto, and he poured oil thereon. And Jacob called the name of the place where God spake with him, Bethel. Here again, he met with God, and he called the place Bethel. Was it the same place he had met earlier? I'm not sure. It looks like it might have been. But he met with God again. And God even changed his name here and gave him another promise. You know, often as we pass the test that God puts before us, often when we go through the fire that's in front of us, often when we go through the hard things that we're facing and we're faithful and we trust God, God says, here, I don't want you to stay here. I want you to go further. I've got something more for you. Many times we're content just to stay where we are. We get comfortable We like comfort. But you know what? It's not going to stay comfortable because we're going to go backwards. We're always going to be moving one way or the other. And that's the deception that the devil would like to bring to us, that we can just be on idle. No, we can't be on idle. We're going to either be going backwards or forwards. Which is it going to be? Yes, there's times where we're waiting on God, but we need to be waiting on God. There's times where God has us in dark valleys where it seems like not a lot's happening. But is our trust still in the Lord? If it is, we're going forward. We might not see see the path, but we know that he he might even be carrying us. We might not even be able to look back and see the footprints because he might be carrying us. I love that footprint um, motto that talks about the two sets of footprints, and there was a time there was only one, and the guy says, what happened here? He said, those were the times I carried you. That's why there's only one set. Sometimes he's carrying us. Sometimes it's so dark that we don't even know how to walk ourselves, but he's carrying us. Okay. Let's go over to Joshua chapter 4. I'm moving on from Jacob here. Joshua chapter 4, starting in verse uh, 1. Matthew, could you read verses uh, 1 through 9, nice and loud and clear? And it came to pass, when all the people were clean passed over Jordan, that the Lord spake unto Joshua, saying, Take you twelve men out of the people, out of the place where they lodged, and laid them down there. And Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests, which bear the ark of the covenant, stood, and they are there unto this day. Okay, we'll quit reading there. Okay, now we're shifting gears a little bit, but not really. Here again, God told the children of Israel to take twelve stones and to make an altar or a pillar. But this one here 
was for their children. You know, many times we go through personal things in our lives where it's personal, where we meet with God. As we get older, as we're married, and we go through things in life, I think it's very important that we build these altars or that we build these monuments because not only is our lives at stake, our children's lives are at stake. How are they going to learn to walk this walk of faith that we have walked unless they see us walking it? Unless they see the altars that we have built. And as they see those altars and they look at them and say, Dad, why do you do this? Why do you do this? What, what is this all about? Son, this is about the day that God led us from Seminole to Missouri. And this is how God did that. This is how God led me in this time of my life. I thought about you this morning, Leon. I hope you don't care if I pick on you a little bit. But I thought about your testimony the first time I met you. And we were sharing. And Leon told me, he said, you know, we got married and we wanted something different for our family. They were on their honeymoon and they were looking for a different church. They were looking for where God would have them start their family. You know, that's so beautiful. And that's a, an altar that they raised that they can tell their children, hey, this is how we did it. This is why we did it. This is what we did. Those are things that are monuments each one of you have those in your lives. Don't be afraid to tell your children how God has led. Don't be afraid to tell your children how God is leading. And as your children get older, I think it's even more important that you allow them to be part of that process of God leading. And what I mean by that is, yes, there's things that's still going to be personal, but it affects your whole family. And there's many times we have family meetings about things. Daughter, son, what do you think about this? Pray about with us about this. We're seeking God's direction. And as we pray together, things become clear. And it's beautiful. It's a way that we can train and teach our sons and daughters to seek God with us. And then many times they even get more excited than we do when they say, wow, God answered that prayer. We prayed for this, and God answered. We were talking about it this morning a little bit in Sunday school. We were talking about the anointing of oil, and we brought up the whole thing of baby Joe. Josh is on here today, but, you know, baby Joe is a living miracle here among us. We were planning a funeral for him. We thought he wasn't going to make it. And here he is today. I think all of us enjoy holding him, hearing his giggles. Being with him, he's a miracle. People prayed for him. He was anointed with oil. God heard those prayers. And he is with us today as a living testimony of God's grace. We need to share those things with our children. Those are, those are monuments or altars or pillars or whatever you want to call them. Of God's grace and leading. First Samuel seven. 
1 Samuel 7, starting in verse 7. And when the Philistines heard the children of Israel were gathered together to Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the children of Israel said to Samuel, Cease not to cry unto the Lord our God for us, that he will save us out of the hand of the Philistines. And Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it for a burnt offering, holy unto the Lord. And Samuel cried unto the Lord for Israel, and the Lord heard him. And as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel, but the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day upon the Philistines and discomforted them. And they were smitten before Israel. And the men of Israel went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and smote them. And they came unto Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it before Mizpah and Shin and called the name Ebenezer, saying, Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. Here again. Oh, uh, let me read the rest, next verse. So the Philistines were subdued, and they came no more in the coast of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines in all the days of Samuel. Here, God wrought a mighty victory. But it wasn't by Samuel alone. Samuel called the people together. Samuel said, come together. Actually, the children of Israel asked Samuel, Cease not to cry unto the Lord our God for us, that he will save us out of the hands of the Philistines. The children of Israel said, We need help. Samuel, can you help us? And Samuel cried out to God. And the children of Israel were crying out to God. And Samuel took a burnt offering. They humbled themselves before God. And God heard their cries. And what was their, what did they name the place? Ebenezer. Do we have Ebenezers in our lives? Do we have Bethels in our lives? Do we have Ebenezers in our lives? Places hitherto hath God helped us. Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. I can say there's many of those places in my life where I say, praise God. I didn't know how this was going to go. I didn't know how God was going to lead but God has led us. You know, sometimes we think we're going to have Daniel here on Tuesday night, and I'm sure he's going to share some of what God has done in Ghana, West Africa, and I'm not sure all, what all he's going to share, but, you know, sometimes we think, well, that's for them. Faith like that is for them. No, brother and sister. We each one have a calling on our lives. Yes, maybe Ghana, West Africa was a calling on Daniel's life, but there's a calling on each one of your lives. Are you fulfilling that calling? Are you walking in that calling? And are you trusting God in that calling? You know, you will only fulfill what you trust God for. There's a principle that runs through Scripture. And the principle is ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be open to you. God wants to pour his blessing upon you. But he wants you to seek him. 
He wants you to knock. He wants you to ask. Let's jump over to Numbers quick here. Numbers 21. Whoops, it's back to Numbers 21, sorry. Numbers 21, verses um, 4 through 9. Stephen, could you read those nice, loud and clear? Numbers 21, 4 through 9. That's good right there. Um, so here, the children of Israel are going through the wilderness. They got discouraged with Moses. They started murmuring and complaining. Why? Because they weren't trusting God. They started murmuring and complaining. They started... Um, and serpents came and started biting them. And the people were dying. And they came to Moses and said, We're sorry, we have sinned. And God, instead of healing them and taking the serpents away, God told Moses, put a serpent up on a pole, a fiery serpent. Make a fiery serpent and put it up on a pole. And everybody that looks on it shall live. The salvation came on trusting God again. He could have just easily done it. He could have easily took the serpents away. He could have easily done it. But he wanted them to do something. We have a part to play. We need to see God. They had to look on that serpent. They could say, Moses, this is so stupid. Why do we have to look on this thing? We're, we don't want to see these things. They're killing us. They've killed our families. No. He said, look on that serpent and you shall live. Now let's go over to 2 Kings. This, is, I, this account is always, this ties into this account here. But 2 Kings... Chapter 18, I have a few verses there. Second Kings chapter 18, starting in verse 1. Now it came to pass in the third year of Heshushan of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. Twenty and five years old was he when he began to reign. And he reigned twenty and nine years in Jerusalem. His mother's name also was Abba, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father did. And he removed the high places and break the images and cut down the groves and break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it, and he called it Nehushtan. And he trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after... Him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. Okay, now we have a very interesting account here. Okay, we just read how Israel was saved by the brazen serpent. Now we have a account where 
it looks like the children of Israel, years later, all of a sudden, this brazen serpent had become an idol to them. And I pondered that along with this message. And I realized sometimes those Ebenezers in our lives, we make monuments out of them and we worship the monument instead of the person we were supposed to remember behind it. We worship the brazen serpent. We start worshiping it, bowing down and pouring incense out to it instead of realizing that that was our salvation. That was what God used to save us. But that is not God. And so often, we like to take these experiences in our lives. Yes, they're special. But God wants us to continue to experience them. God wants us to continue to experience them. If we try to take an experience that I had 10 years ago, and we frame that on the wall and say, I had this experience. I trust God. See, I had this experience. But all our faith is in this thing that happened. It's in those rocks. And it's not in God leading us to the next Bethel. That leading us to the next Ebenezer in our lives. We need to be asking God, God, where's the next Ebenezer? We want to meet with you. Not with a snake up on a pole. Not with a few rocks out in a pasture somewhere. Yes, we need those rocks in our lives. We need that snake in our lives to look at and be saved. But let's not make them idols. Let's not put our trust in those things. So many times. Just to make that practical. You know, maybe... God used some certain type of music in your life to bring you to Him. Does God want you to stay there? No. I believe God has used many things to bring people to Christ. In my own life, and I, I, I almost don't even like saying this, but in my own life, God used a comedian to open my eyes up to salvation. Now, do I believe that Everybody should go following comedians around? No. But God can use that in our lives. But should, should I encourage people to go to comedians? No. I believe many of them are even wicked. But can God use that in somebody's life to bring them to Christ? Yes. <coughs> now, if I went and I made a monument out of comedians and said comedians is a way to bring people to Christ... I think everybody should get saved by comedians. I'd be putting my faith in comedians instead of in Christ. So many people do that. They follow men. They follow a movement. They follow... And hey, some of these movements God has used powerfully. Some of these movements God has used to bring people to himself. And I don't condemn that. But does that mean that if we see things that aren't pure and holy in that, that we have to follow that? No. God wants us to walk in purity and holiness. He wants to take us forward. In closing here, I'd like to go over to 
Matthew 17 and look at Peter for a minute. Matthew 17. And we could have found this in Matthew 17. It's also in Mark. It's also in Luke. And it all says the same thing. And Peter says the same thing in every passage. Um, starting in verse 1. And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart. And they... they and was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto him Moses and Elias talking with him. Then answered Peter, and in one passage it says, Peter woke up, or, or kind of came to, and said, said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, and one for Moses, and one for Elias. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were sore afraid. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, be not afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. And they came down from the mountain. Jesus charged them, saying, Tell Division to no man until the Son of Man be risen again from the dead. So often we have these mountaintop experiences like Peter did. God reveals himself in a real way. Something great happens. We see some marvelous things in our own lives and God cleanses our hearts. And in the emotion of all that, Many times we're like Peter. Let's build three tabernacles. Let's stay here. Let's not let it leave. No. God has done this in our lives so that we can go forward and be a light and a testimony to the world around us. God has done that so that we can help others. God has, is doing these things in our lives and has given us these experiences for a reason. Not so that we sit there and enjoy it. Yes. We can walk in the peace and joy that God has poured into our hearts. That's what God wants us to do. But He wants us to go forth. He don't want us to stay there. He don't want us to stay where we are. He wants to take us forward in His grace and in His joy. May God bless us as we continue to move forward and realize that hitherto has the Lord led us. God bless.